Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Fertan Dandia. In this week's episode, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Natasha Robbins. Natasha is a licensed marriage and family therapist and coach. She obtained her master's and PhD from Purdue University and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Michigan Medical Center. Natasha's research and clinical experience over 16 years has centered around attachment and nervous system regulation. In recent years, her focus has broadened to include somatic attachment therapy and internal family systems frameworks. She is also a trained yoga instructor and breathwork facilitator. Natasha currently owns a private practice where she provides therapy and coaching services for clients in office and virtually online. In this episode, Natasha and I discuss purpose and why it is crucial to living our lives with purpose. We discuss how it can take us forever to lean into our purpose and sometimes our limiting beliefs and doubts prevent us from pursuing what we are meant to do. Natasha also talks about the recent and sudden passing of her husband and how that further emphasized her belief in herself and her purpose in life. Please check out all the ways you can find Natasha on social media and online in the show notes, and also check out her free mini course. If at the end of the episode, you can leave a five-star review, I would truly appreciate it. All right, Natasha, welcome to the Easy Conversations podcast. Thank you for joining me today and wanting to have this conversation with me. I'm super, super grateful and excited to talk about purpose with you today. But before we get started, I want to give you an opportunity to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do um, and where you're based. Mm, Yeah, I'm in Michigan um, and I've lived here since, oh gosh, I want to say like uh, 16 years I've been here. So I'm not from here, but this is where I've been for quite a while since having my kids and all that. Um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I have um, a PhD in marriage and family therapy. And um, I've been in clinical practice um, in some form or another for about 16 years more recently on my own and other in past years, I've been involved with clinical research or uh, larger group practices, but this is this for the past few years, I've been on my own. So I work with, um, I'm also a coach. So I do, I'd say about 50% of my work is virtual online with therapy clients or coaching clients. And the rest is in person in my local office here for people who prefer that. Um, and in my um, in my research background and in my uh, specialized training, I'm very attachment oriented. So that's sort of a lens that I bring um, since day one in my work. I've always loved the concepts of attachment theory, and my research is always focused on attachment and emotion regulation. More recently, um, emotion regulation from the standpoint of nervous system regulation. So there's been like a bit of an evolution in terms of how we think of emotion regulation. So it's interesting because as I was sort of jotting down thoughts for today, um, I didn't think that that those themes would come up, but I do think they will. And it's mm-hmm. just um, so I'll sort of like let that sit there until we dig deeper <laughs> into the conversation. Yeah. 
No, I appreciate that. Thank you. And and yeah, attachment theory is something that fascinates me too because it's it's interesting how, you know, you build these styles as a child and you continue to seek them out on a subconscious level, right? And until you don't bring awareness to it, you're not really mindful of how you've been repeating these patterns throughout your life. And and yes. you often manifest the same relationships as well. Um, is that something that, I mean, is obviously probably backed by research, but what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, it's so interesting because um, when we think of attachment theory, we often think about relationships, especially like romantic relationships or relationships with attachment figures. Um, but attachment theory is really all about the internal working model, which is developed at a very young age based on the quality of our um, caregiver interactions with us and our early relationships there. And the internal working model is about our relationship with self, world, and others. So it includes our internal relationship with ourself, our relationship with others, which is what we tend to think about it, but also in the world. And when we talk about purpose, I feel like we're tapping into the world part of it, how mm-hmm. safe we feel being out there in the world, getting our our message out there in the world. And it's so connected to how we feel in here in our bodies, our, in our relationship interiorly. Um, so it's just really powerful as a lens mm-hmm. to, to purpose, I feel like. And it's not, it's not one that you normally think of when it comes to purpose. So that's what I thought was really intriguing as I was just sort of reflecting on what we, we would be talking about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a cool perspective because I haven't really um, bridged the two in terms mm-hmm. of purpose and attachment. So that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and the other thing I am often fascinated by is like, you know, if, if you're pursuing a PhD in something, that means you're you're really passionate about it. So mm-hmm. for you to like seek out a PhD in, um, you said family therapy and couples Mary- and family therapy. Yeah, marriage and family therapy. Um, And oftentimes people think that means I only, MFTs only work with couples or families, but we do most of our work as individual. It's just that we bring a systemic lens to the individual work, like a really broad lens, sort of paying attention to all the dynamics in a system. And, And so even when we're working with someone individually, it's like what's happening in their broader world and what are the relationships like that they're just a part of that influence them. So it's kind of a lens in and of itself. Yeah. Different psychology. It's a little different from like a a very individually focused lens. Um, And I was really passionate about, I've been really passionate about that broader lens for sure. And And when you reached out to me, you know, one of the things that you talked about wanting to tap into is my husband's recent passing. And so that's just an example of how like broader context really does matter. You know, it really matters in terms of where people are and in their whole ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point, often those broader systems shape who we are as individuals and I don't think, well, and when I say we, the general we, we don't put a lot of emphasis on that, right? Like I think for me, part of my journey, especially over the last couple of years, has been to dig deeper 
and often look at it from a broader perspective, right? Where are these uh, patterns coming from? Where are the beliefs coming from? Uh, why are there certain things that I'm attached to? So it does, you know, give us a lot of information often that we don't necessarily put a lot of focus on. Yeah. Do you tend to see that quite a bit in terms of the work you do with people as well? That what I find is, you know, you point out the smallest thing that perhaps came from a parent or or from a family member. And it's like people's, you know, face light up because it's like they've just discovered something brand new. Um, yeah. Which I find always, it's rewarding for me because I feel like I've helped someone uncover something deep and meaningful. But at the same time, I find it very fascinating that it's mm-hmm. it's buried so deep. Yeah. One of the things I love to do, whether individually or as a couple, um, with couples, this is really powerful because you have a witness, you have someone by your side to witness your story. So I, I'll work with um, like sort of exploring the story, early life experiences of one person and then the other, if it's a couple, but um but while I'm focused on the one, the other person is just sort of bearing witness to the whole thing. And they're hearing some things that they may have never known about the other person's early life experiences. And so it's so interesting from that standpoint to sort of explore what early life relationships were like with caregivers and then pull it into the present day and show how it really is connected to the interactions between these two humans in front of me. And something that I love to do is at the beginning of each session, like check in on what's happening in the present day. You know, what did, what did you carry in on your heart today that you want to make sure and talk about? And oftentimes it's something like, oh, we just got in a really big fight. Or if I'm working with someone individually, it's like, oh, this thing just happened with my mom or whatever. And we talk through it. But then at some point in the session, like my, my, um, goal, if it feels safe, is to take a deeper dive and explore earlier life and and use that as a context to show here's the early root systems of what you were just talking about. Like you literally just came in with this on your heart and look how just in this little bit we've been talking about early life, you can see how it showed up there. And now we can go mining and pull those nuggets and those gems into the present day and take some learnings with us. It's really cool. Yeah. work and you're right people's eyes kind of light up like oh okay and it's it's just sort of like going excavating and realizing that like there's something here for me yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and and I think the other piece is to kind of approach those moments with compassion without judgment right it's easier to judge because we'll either judge the people who perhaps we're responsible for that in our lives or we'll judge our inability to show up for ourselves or whatever it is to, to be able to care for ourselves in those moments. So I think what I found is when we're able to detach from that and just accept it for what it is, that it was meant to happen for whatever reason, we may not see it, we may see it, but it allows us to have some compassion for ourselves mm-hmm. or other people too. Um, which I think makes it a lot easier to deal with, perhaps. Um, I don't know for sure, but I think for me that's been the case is just having that compassion rather than trying to judge it or, or mm-hmm. be hard on myself. 
It's so true. At some point in the discussion, there's always this moment where I pause and say, like, let me be clear, like, this is no judgment of your parents, because really and truly, most of the time, parents are doing the best that they can. And, and sometimes I'm saying this because I can tell there's this sense of guilt I'm picking up from the other person that that part of them is like, oh, but, you know, I had a great childhood. You know, they really struggle with digesting this information. So we sort of stop and I try to remind them that, like, this is no shame here. Like, we are all human. I guarantee my kids will be in therapy someday talking about their experiences with me. Like, we are just not robots. Right. We're unable to fulfill every need, right? Yeah. So it's all um, it's all okay from the standpoint of we do our best with what we got and then we start the healing journey or we start showing up for ourselves from the inside out to provide the gap, like the gap between what we were able to get and what we needed. And so now it's like, okay, I got this and I needed this, but I, there's a gap in between. And now how can I bridge that gap by showing up for myself in a whole new way? And this is when like the reparenting process can be really powerful, learning how to really deeply um, hold yourself in a loving and authentic place. And that's where, to me, that's so connected to purpose and some of the struggles that I've personally have had <laughs> multiple times in my history, um, like really standing in my power when it comes to purpose. Um, if it's okay, I'll kind of bring in the story about my husband here because it does really dovetail in, um, not that the most seamless transition, but I feel like that's a really, um, powerful place to start in terms of yeah. purpose for me. And because uh, I have been, it's really led me to sort of awaken, um, and it, on a deeper level, uh, the experience that I witnessed, um, him experiencing. So, um, this past August will be one year since he passed away. So it's fairly recent still. And we found out that he had cancer one month before he passed away. So we did not have this long drawn out experience of illness or, you know, prior to that one month, um, marker, he was, um, He's just this bigger, big, larger than life kind of guy, six foot three, super strong. He's the guy who would be who you'd call to help you move into a new place, like riding his Peloton. He was active. He was not sickly in any way. Like there was no sort of warning sign. And then yeah. he developed some abdominal issues um, and, and they were present for like a solid week. And I was like, you really need to go to the doctor because that should be getting at least a little better, right? Like if you have a tummy bug or something, he was really resistant to going, you know, like, I'm fine. I don't need to go. That's going to be a waste of time to go to the doctor. And then he went to urgent care on the weekend because it was getting worse. And he that's where he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and then later found out, you know, the exact diagnosis and all of that. And it turned out to be uh, rectal cancer, which can be a, a, is known to be a silent killer. Like there's just not a lot of symptoms prior to the end. So it's really important to do screening, you know, which yeah. he, did, he did not do. So, um, so he started with chemo and um, as soon as we can. And after 
his first round of chemo, he started to develop, develop really sharp abdominal pains, enough to need to go to ER. So he went to ER by ambulance. And there he found out that um, he had experienced a, um, a rupture in his intestine and in his, um, what's it called? Um, basically a tearing of the lining and sort of leaking out into the gut. And, um, and at the time, I think we were still really like, okay, what do we do next? That's kind of what, where we were at. And in that ER visit, we were basically informed that he would probably have 24 to 48 hours before he died from sepsis because it was such a big tear. So, um, to go from, you know, like, okay, you have cancer, we're fighting, we're committed to this long-term journey of fighting cancer to we have 24 to 48 hours was just this huge shock to our systems and to our worldview and to everything really like it's incomprehensible even to try and explain what that experience was like. But as a witness to him, because I experienced this as a personal trauma to me, of course, too, because I'm, I'm trying to digest losing a part life partner who I've been with since I was 17. Yeah. I'm I'm not young, you know, so, um, so my experience, but witnessing his experience and, and really like, you know, because I'm very empathically oriented, like I was really tuned into how is he digesting this news? Like, how is he, how do you, how does he wrap his mind around the fact that this is the end and whatever he had hoped to accomplish or do, or be like, this is, uh, there's no more opportunity to do that. There was this moment for me of, um, and really this is what haunts me today is, um, how did that feel? How did that feel in those 24 to 48 hours, um, knowing that and, you know, with the amount of pain he was in, he, he didn't talk about it. It wasn't really something that we dove into, but it's, that my mind circles back to a lot. Like, what was that like for him? Um, how devastating and how I couldn't even imagine as most of us probably can't like how, how horrible it would be to realize that all these unrealized aspects of our lives essentially. Um, and I know that he had a lot he wanted to do that yeah. um, he didn't get a chance to do. So, um, you know, really like in his work, he was at probably in, in his personal prime, you know, and really had so many things he wanted to be doing. Um, not to mention, you know, un, unre unrealized aspects of relationships and all of that, but we're talking more about like, I think with the work purpose, you know, like um, what we, what we are putting out into the world. And I know that seeing him go through that, really like rocked my world personally from the standpoint of purpose. It really had me questioning, like, am I making the best use of the time that I have here? And um, what's getting in the way? Because I know there are things getting in the way yeah. of making the best use of the time I have here. So um, just, I wanted to pause there and see, just to give you a chance, because I'm talking a lot, you know, if there's anything you wanted to say about any of the, you know, stuff I've kind of been throwing out there. 
Yeah, yeah, no, uh, lots of questions obviously come to mind. But first of all, I want to first thank you for sharing that openly and, and vulnerably. Uh, I can't even imagine what it must be like, right? So, so I guess the first question that comes to mind is how has the grieving process been? I mean, a, a year and a bit isn't, to me, still very close, right? Like it's still recent. Mm-hmm. How has that been for you and how have you shown up for your children? Like how many children do you guys mm-hmm. have? Two kids, two girls, age 11 and 13 right now. And um, it's been so weird. And this is not my first experience with grief, but each grief experience is so different. So I lost my mom tragically when the girls were two and four and she died in a car fire, really unexpected, tragic situation in the process of trying to relocate, move from Arizona to Michigan. Um, They never made it, her and her partner. So um, that experience of grief was awful and and just life-changing, but also this is so different. It's, you would think, oh, I, I know how to get through grief, but hits again and you're and you realize how little you really know um i will say the the early months were very felt almost as though my nervous system was extremely protective of me it was sort of like i i I remember posting about this um there was a moment in time where we were in um the um, hospice ward after he had been moved and um, when when we were told basically there was nothing more they could do, so we're 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 there in the hospice ward night, and, and I think it finally dawns on me in a deeper way, like more fully digested, that um, what's what's happening here. And at that moment, I could feel almost like this heavy blanket being pulled over my experience. Like you don't have to feel all of this right now. And I remember fighting it, like. I want to experience all of this. I want to be fully yeah. present. Um, but it felt almost like like the body um, forbidding the full intensity of that. I can't even describe it adequately, but it was a clear sense that um, I'm still here and I'm still present and I'm still feeling a lot. It's still extremely painful, but the fullness of it it's, it felt as though my body was saying, you're going to have a lifetime to feel the fullness of it. Right now, if you feel the fullness of it, you'll you'll never get up off the floor, you know, like, so I'm only going to let you feel what what um, what you can right now. And then um, so it, it's felt like ever since then, this gradual thinning of that heavy blanket, like um, more and more and more clarity about what this means for us, what it means for him, what, uh, you know, just a gradual deepening of the grief process, if that makes sense. And less of a shock kind of way and more of like a um, walking through the heaviness of it kind of way and uh, riding the waves of it with my girls and stuff like that. So thank you for asking. Yeah, that's been... And it's still unfolding, you know, clearly my girls are not even thick, you know, heavily in the teen years yet. So I'm anticipating and watchful that this is going to be an iterative process for yeah. that being. Yeah. And, and 
I mean, I think part of it also, like for you, is it the process of recognizing that you need to be able to be present with yourself and everything you're experiencing. So then you can be there for your daughters. Cause obviously it's, it's a huge responsibility, right? Like not only do you have to grieve for what you've lost, but you're also responsible for these two girls that are going to grow up in this world and, and have so many questions and, you know, grief is very complex, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone has their own process with it. Everyone feels it differently. Everyone responds differently. So, you know, to show up for other people can also be a huge responsibility. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, what does that feel like for you when you think about that? Mm, that's such a good question. I mean, I feel like what it often means is letting them see me struggle to show up for myself and then and then to to take steps to show up for myself like letting them see me not in any state of perfection because there's no perfection here it is like um you know it sometimes will show up as annoyance or um agitation or a bad mood and then me and and them witnessing that and having their own version of that happening and then me sort of like saying let's just sit down and talk you know i think I'm having a rough day today and it's okay. Like every once in a while, all of us are going to have this and then seeing me acknowledge it and talk about it openly. And if we need to cry, cry. Um, I think, I think that it can be tempting to hide that process from kids and, and we don't want to flood them and overwhelm them either. So there is this sense of like, I want to give you, grant you permission to see me in the struggle and also to not um, make you feel responsible to hold it together because I'm falling apart. So like this balance between sort of witnessing each other and, and yet me still being able to hold um, safe parental space for them. Yeah. You know, if I can if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. It does. I think it's, it's being able to show your children that you're also going through that human experience mm -hmm. and you're figuring it out. So then they, I think it's important for them to recognize that you don't have it mastered. So, so there's like that shared space of compassion and, and support for each other. I think it's, yeah. it's so important because the way I was raised was it was almost programmed that, oh, your parents have it all figured out. And I, I don't think that's right. Cause then you, you, you seem to lack that compassion for them as you, as you grow older. Um, for me, it resonates <clears throat> because not, not even close, but my son recently moved with his mom to another city. And that was a very difficult mm -hmm. experience for me. And, you know, I remember his last weekend before he was moving. I mean, I still see him now, but less, but is he was not showing the emotions that I would expect to see from a child. And he was going through his own process and I had to really accept what that process was. I couldn't, I think I had to wrap my head around the fact that I can't dictate that process for him and I shouldn't personalize it. Like if he's not showing emotions and if he's, choosing to distance himself that's his choice um and that's how he's processing it but at the same time it was important for me to 
show that human side of myself. And at one point, I remember just uh, being emotional and telling him how this whole experience is very difficult for me. And I just want him to know that, but I don't want him to do anything and worry about me. I'm going to figure it out. But it was just being able to have that human connection, even though he's a child. And I think that's what you're getting at with your daughters is showing them that, hey, I'm also experiencing this um, in my way. You're modeling for him in that moment something that you may have never been modeled. I don't know, you know, so like if there was sort of a generational pattern of we don't show each other these things, you just broke that cycle. It may not be the first time, you know, like because you have a value system where you really value authenticity and and all of these things. But in that moment, you're really like stepping out of your comfort zone and the whole family history comfort zone. You're showing him a whole new way and he may not register it in that moment, but his body picked up on all the information you gave him. So it is so much what I'm talking about because my I think kids are very protective of their internal states oftentimes. Right. And my youngest is more that way than my older daughter, but she she does not want to talk about things about her dad and, and grief and all of that. She's very sort of zipped up around it. So with her, I try to approach it like, um, I'm going to model for you a different way of being so that you have access to another way of being if and when the moment comes that you feel safe enough inside to um, go there. Yeah. In the meantime, whatever you're doing is exactly what you need to do. Like her body that right now her body is telling her this is too much. Like, your son in that moment, his body might have been telling him, this is too much. Keep your armor on. Um, if you take it off, it'll feel too overwhelming, right? And that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, thank you for, for building on that. And I guess <clears throat> another question that comes to mind is, you know, often we're we're presented with these situations in life and they can be hard. Right. And, and I'm not trying to compare situations, but there's often things that are handed to us and you can sit there and wonder, like, why? Like, why is this happening? And like, how can this be happening? Right. Like even with, you know, as you mentioned with your husband, healthy person doing all the right things and all of a sudden just handed these cards. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like for you? you know, looking back and, and how were you able to change the narrative around it? Hmm. Yeah. It's so, this is a, I probably in the middle of doing that, you know, and I love, I love when I get a chance to talk about something that I'm in the middle of, cause it's not going to be, pol- my answer is not going to be polished at all. Right. Of course. It's going to be an answer where it's clear. I'm still sorting this out, but like sometimes I have to intentionally separate like, um, you know, how could this have happened from the standpoint of his life to to how it applies to my life? Because I struggle the most to make sense of why it happened to him, for him, you know, that um, what good is going to come out of it for him? He's gone, you know, so why did he, ha- did his life have to end in that way? And how, what could, how, what kind of purpose does it, how does that make sense for mm-hmm. him? Right. For me, 
I'm still here. So there's so much that I can tap into in terms of like, wow, you know, someday in the future, I may look back at this as a turning point for me Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. terms of really giving me permission to make the best use I can out of the life I have left. Right. Like not wasting time and knowing that like the timing is always perfect. So I don't want to give the impression that up until now it's been wasted time because we're always preparing. Right. And so, um, 10 years ago, I might not have been ready, but now on the heels of what we've experienced, it's hard not to, it almost feels selfish to even consider not making the use best use out of the time I have left. Like as though if Dave were here, he might be saying like, you're still there. I'm not. So you got to go out there and do the things like you don't have the luxury of not anymore. And I feel that it's almost like a pressure, but um, it, it's it's like an invitation. Yeah. A really powerful one. And, and so like in my history, um, when I was jotting down some thoughts, like one of the things that struck out to me is that there was this gap in my um, like professional development climb. Yeah. And this gap was um, like, I was clinically active for about 13 years, sort of climbing one goal at a time up the ladder, like getting my master's, getting my PhD, um, getting, doing my postdoctoral fellowship, um, kind of like one hustle after the next. Right. And then I feel like I kind of labeled it as the hustle and the collapse. Like, it almost felt as though, and the timing was perfect because I was having kids. So it was this gap of like, I'm going to be having kids. I'm going to be present to them. I'm going to be slowing down. And it's when I got trained as a yoga instructor and started doing some different kinds of trainings to augment Mm -hmm. and bringing more of a somatic element to my work. But so it was good time, but I I describe it as the collapse because my mom passed away during that time. And, um, And somewhere in that process, I feel like the hustle that I had had up to then no longer applied. And and in hindsight, it's almost as though because the hustle up to that point was all about getting other people to value me. So proving my worth, all of that stuff, right? And then my mom passes away and I'm having girls, (laughs) little girls, right? There's just this awareness setting in at that time where it's like, I don't want to hustle for Mm, anything. mm -hmm. And what it led me to do is sort of like lose my hustle for a while. And that's why I say sort of the collapse. I was also grieving with my mom's passing, but there was a sense for me and I was learning a lot of somatic tools. So I was finding my authentic center and I was like, how is it that I've never really tapped into this place? And I've been making all these decisions you know, without having access to my center, like what in the world, how could I have done that? And so it was this pause for me in terms of like, what do I do now? I don't have that hustle anymore. It was all outside of me. It was all based on earning the approval of others. And now that doesn't really resonate anymore when I'm in my center. So it, it took me a while to sort of land in a place of, finding a new motivation source that was not hustle for worth, that was um, something more authentic, more inside of me, and that still 
had drive, you know, because I think once you get rid of the hustle for worth, sometimes the fuel that drives us is like gone. And it's like, well, why do anything then? Right? Like, I don't need your approval, their approval. So like, I might as well just do the, you know, do the day to day with my kids, right? Which is all beautiful enough, right? That And you can really, you can be really fulfilled doing that stuff. But I, yeah. I felt a tug for um, a broader purpose and I, and I couldn't really find the motivation for it yet. So this process was building in me of replacing that old fuel with a new kind of fuel. And then Dave's passing just sort of like, feels like, and I'm in the middle of it, it feels like jet fuel being added to that. It's like, oh, I get it now. Like, it's not about hustling for worth. It's about, you know, helping as many people as I can while I'm here. I used to up to then really hold on to the knowledge that I had. And now I'm like, give it all away. Like, get it out there as much as I can without any any sense that like um, I need to be getting a bunch of likes and reply for what I post or really just sort of like, what if, what if I were to pass away and all the things that I have spent my whole life learning are just stuck in here. And, you know, my girls can't benefit from it. Nobody else can. So at this point, it feels very much like um, this more deeply rooted place in my purpose that is still unfolding and that. Yeah. I'm not there yet, but I'm, I can feel it kicking in. Does that resonate or make sense? Yeah. I mean, everything you said resonates and obviously we all go through different journeys, but I agree. There was a period of my life and I've shared that as well on this podcast and other forums, but you know, same thing where I was just living someone else's life that or or a life that someone else had kind of written for me and it didn't feel authentic uh, or in alignment with who I was and it was a constant battle until I came to a point where I'm like this doesn't feel right it doesn't and you know I had certain realizations that this is not who I want to be for another 40 years uh, or 50 years whatever it is and um, I think it was recognizing that we all have a unique gift in this world um, and we have a purpose and we have a limited time to share it. And sometimes you can act as a catalyst for someone else or you have to put whatever that is within you to and share it with this world, as you've sh- mentioned here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of it resonates and, and that gift is essentially our purpose and when we tap into it, and to your point, it evolves, right? Once we start stepping into that pull and follow whatever direction we're being taken in, and sometimes there are things that happen that we can't understand, right? Uh, losing people or certain circumstances where you're like, this doesn't make sense, but I'm just going to lean into it and, mm-hmm. and surrender to the fact that this is taking me somewhere. And obviously it's very hard in the moment to, to accept all that and and just believe in something beyond you. But I think that's where, yeah, I think that's where the more, more most freedom comes from. Just, mm-hmm. yeah. I love that. I mean, one of the things I, I, I think about sometimes is like, 
why, you know, from the standpoint of like, why, why did this happen? You know, why did my two primary attachment figures have to be taken too soon? You know, my earliest attachment figure and my adult attachment figure. And how does one continue on when their attachment figures are gone? And, um, and what, what meaning can come of that? And one of the things that comes to me a lot is um, I'm being shown a way to become my own attachment figure from the inside out, from the standpoint of um, reparenting. So like bringing my own inner parent to myself and really learning how to tap into the sense of security I would get with my mom when I were younger and I would get with Dave and now being able to create it within me, between me and me. And and that process has been extremely comforting because when you develop that, it's sort of like nobody can take that. <laughs> like that can't go anywhere. So if I, I can be a safe place for me to land the rest of my life, um, I don't have to worry about losing that. That's solidly mine. And, um, and it, there's something about that that really like to me feels like a deepening of my roots in a way where I'm, I, I don't have to worry about getting toppled over by the next scary thing that, that happens because I have, I have my own back in a really clear way. And so that's where the attachment piece comes, comes from for me because I feel like um, once you can internalize that process, you can go out into the world in a, in a, and feel much more when we were talking about how self world and others and how purpose has so much to do with world, the world part of it, that, and this is what I'm still learning is that like, I feel more clear in my voice in the world with this inside of me than I ever have when it was in someone else. And I'm not trying to take away from the from the importance of co-regulation and attachment relationships and relationships in general, they're essential. We need them, but there are certain things that we have to face alone. Like there are certain things in life where like, even when you just go to bed at night and you close your eyes, it's you in your own body, right? Like at the end of the day, it's you with you. And so knowing how to really hold yourself in a safe place there is game changer to me. It's really powerful, but something that I'm still really like coming to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so powerful. I think for me, I came to that realization when I think as you can appreciate, a lot of it evolves over time. We, we continue to learn new things and I, I kind of got that appreciation. Like I mentioned, when I was going through that whole process of accepting my son moving away and, I think for me, I realized that we're all here on our own individual journeys. Yes, we have relationships and we have responsibility for other people, especially our children. And, and there's that attachment, as you mentioned. But at the end of the day, we're all here individually. Um, and, you know, I kind of started taking a step back and looking at, well, my son's here and he's going to have his own journey. And maybe my role in his journey is limited for this season and maybe it will become more prominent in the future or maybe not, but I just need to kind of lean into it and accept whatever comes my way, but also show up for myself 
and and have that attachment for myself. So when he needs more of me, I'm present, right? And I'm able to offer him more. But at the same time, I need to focus on my own journey in life and and try to do the most I can with it. In some ways, you may be giving him access to more of you in this process because you're learning so much how to show up more fully for yourself, which at the end of the day means that in the future, you'll have more of you to give to him, more authentic you, more grounded you, more um, you know, deeply aligned version of you. Like what an incredible gift, right? That if you didn't take this time to do the in- interior work, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to give that to him. So it's really powerful. Yeah. And I think to your point, we often, I think what happens is we often make that work conditional on life circumstances or, or outcomes. And what I find is often we go through these situations in life and, and they're a reminder if, if, if we choose to look at it that way, right, is that it's not conditional. It is unconditional love for ourselves and, and healing and whatever you want to call it. It's never ending and you mm-hmm. must give it to yourself. And sometimes the universe will give you a signals and it, they get louder and louder if you don't listen to them. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's very important. Um, but just to kind of shift a little bit. So, you know, in terms of purpose, what, did you have any conversations with your husband around, you know, how to live your purpose and how to like mm. kind of keep his legacy going mm. um, in terms and, and what do you think he would, you know, if he were here, like what would he want to see from you? Mm. This is so interesting. Like, so we had such a short amer- amount of time um, and he was in so much pain, it really became very painful for him to talk. So um, there wasn't a really like a lot of opportunity to do a heavy conversations about everything. But we did talk about a lot. And he was hospitalized a couple times prior to that. And we had, you know, when when we did not know he was passing away, we just were knew, we knew we were battling cancer, where we had a lot of heart to hearts not from the standpoint of him knowing that he's he's going to be dying soon because we didn't know yet mm-hmm. um, but but a heart to heart that we did have and this is this is sort of like a little bit of a more personal share so like and we we were together um a very long time i mean we were we met in um 1991 i was 17 and we um right after high school and we had joined the military and we were both in the military together. And, and so if you do the math, that's a lot of time together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so we grew up together and at times he could be a little bit hard on me. Like he, um, like so much of my relationship with him over the years was trying to earn his approval, mm. like hustling for his validation and like, tell me I'm doing a good job. Like really everything that he would say to me or about me, I just took to heart so deeply. Mm. And so um, at some point in time and when he was hospitalized, he was having some very intentional conversations with me um, that felt 
really deeply meaningful and healing. And one of them was him saying, I know I've been hard on you and I'm so sorry. And it was just this permission. It, it felt to me like for the first time, he was giving me permission to be, you know, just really and truly me to not need to earn anything. I, I didn't even know I needed to hear that from him, but him saying that to me was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for, for the validation that I'm enough. I'm enough, right? Really at the heart of it. And so I take that with me. That's the, the closest that I can come to answering your question is that yeah. conversation where um, I, I, I hate to say I needed him to tell me that I was enough, but I kind of did. You know, he was my primary attachment figure. I kind of needed to hear from him. Um, you're good. You're good as you are. You don't need to change anything. You're good. Yeah. You're enough. And something about that was like, it just unleashed a lot of up fear, doubt. Um, and I, I, I go back in my mind to that conversation when I have doubt now. And when I struggle to find my worth, I remember um, that moment and how powerful it felt to me because I don't want to lose it. It feels mm. really. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful answer. I mean, and, and the way I look at it is often good or bad, certain people are sent into our lives to, for a purpose as well. Um, and, and I think, you know, we can choose to receive that message however we want, but there's always a powerful message behind it. You know, whether I like to say people come into our lives for, for a season, for years, whatever their role is, they're, they're serving a purpose. And, you know, for you to share that, that's powerful because I think for you to internalize that now moving forward is, is so crucial mm -hmm. for you to even be able to live your purpose. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's almost a little bit of shame that I feel like acknowledging that I needed to get that from someone else that I couldn't, not that I couldn't have tapped into it myself, but that there we are relational beings. And that's the whole thing about attachment that really there is an element that is so hard to access without um, the relational component being a part of it, without our someone who we love and trust essentially like holding us in this place of acceptance that then we can really say, oh, I can accept myself then because you accepted me. That's what a secure attachment is when that happens from birth. You know, we have this really beautiful secure relationship that develops within ourselves that that just strongly says I am enough in myself in relationships and in the world and I have a solid foundation that's secure attachment but what we don't talk a lot about is that um, even though many of us don't have aren't bo aren't born with secure attachments there's a category called earned secure where you essentially just spend your life building that security from the inside based on new relationships that you have with other people and also new relationships that you build within yourself. And the, the earned secure journey is a really powerful one. And it's the one that a lot of us are on. <laughs> it's like, and at that moment, he gave me a key piece of my earned secure journey um, that I needed from him, I think. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's so important. And I agree with you. The earned 
secure attachment, as much as it feels daunting and often, you know, when we're struggling with attachment, we we're wishing that, oh, why can't things just be easier or just the way we want them to be or receive the things we need. But when we're able to unlock, as you mentioned, the little pieces here and there and put the whole puzzle together, you kind of look back and, and first of all, you're so in awe of the whole process and so grateful because you need it to go through certain paths to get there. And, you know, I don't want to minimize anyone's experience, but it is a powerful process. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's okay that it is a lifelong process. Like this is not a, oh, six to eight sessions and we're good. Like it, it's, it's really like this up and down trajectory of remembering who I am, forgetting who I am, remembering a little more, forgetting, and really like falling and getting back up, falling and get, and, but the overall trajectory being in the positive, in the growth direction, even though there are dips along the way. And, um, and when I think about that gap that I was describing in my history, like with, um, you know, that taking time away from the climb and then there being this collapse period, um, what comes to mind for me a lot is that we have to lose our voice in order to find our authentic vocal power. You know, that like prior to that, I thought I had a pretty strong voice. I mean, I was really working hard in school and everything to develop that, but um, it wasn't mine. It really wasn't mine. And I had to lose that for a period of time to really figure out where, what is, where is my own vocal power coming from? And what does that feel like and sound like? And can I create safety in my body to support it being out there in the world and it not terrify me <laughs> to the point yeah. where I back down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, thank you for sharing that. And I just want to be mindful of time here. I feel like we can talk about this stuff forever. And, you know, what, one of the things I realized that I think, I would love to have you on again to talk about attachment if, if you're open to that. But mm-hmm. before we bring things to an end, I do have one last question. And I guess for people, you know, I see it all the time. People are struggling to find their purpose or just hoping to get answers. And, and that can often lead to discouragement or I think you sometimes need to just sit it, with it. And the answers may not be there, but you have to, I truly believe you have to keep working at it and and just have this, I know it sounds weird, but this blind faith that, you know, you're on the right path and you just don't see it right now and things will uncover themselves at at certain points. Yeah. What would your message be to people that are in that space and are looking for that purpose or, or just doubting themselves? Hmm. I think, I think that the first thing that comes to mind me for me is trusting the process that if, if it doesn't feel super clear yet, it's because it's not meant to feel super clear yet. Like where there are experiences we're meant to have that are to come that are, will clarify and crystallize that journey more and more and more sort of like, as though there were this higher version of us that left these glowing breadcrumbs on the path that we are just discovering along the way, like, oh, this resonates. Okay, great. And so part of what I love about the somatic part and why I love somatic attachment is that when you develop 
this um, relationship with your body and you you're able to tune into its little tiny nudges what it, what what's cool about it from one standpoint is it doesn't have to scream at you anymore for you to hear it which is like a win right <laughs> yes. like until then when it, when we can only hear it when it's screaming it, it really is painful but when we learn to tap into it we can hear its whispers earlier in the process um that's less painful right and we can course correct more quickly but uh and speak up more quickly in relationships and all of that but also when we can recognize those little flickers of you're on the right path, this feels aligned, like that becomes this compass that you have in your back pocket all the time that you can pull out and say like, where do I feel like I am? Let me really check in. And, and oh, I just spoke to Furcom and that felt like, oh, it felt expansive. Like that's a clue for me. That is a little glowing nugget on my path. And I try to pay attention to whatever I feel that because it says, keep going. This is the right direction. You're you're good, right? Yeah. As opposed to when I feel this really tight, um, like almost um, like, you know, when you feel small or when you yeah. feel like you're curling in energetically on yourself, then I, I tell myself, oh, that's not aligned, right? Maybe mm-hmm. may not be yeah. aligned and listening to that is what I would really encourage people to do. We're developing a really tuned ear inwardly to that. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And I can relate to that. Um, The more I've become in tune with things, I can just feel my body, different parts of my body sending me messages. And for me, it's in the knees. (laughs) My knees give me information now. And maybe they always did, and I just wasn't, aware, but now that I've become more aware, my knees are often giving me information, whether I'm in the right direction or if I'm getting off course and I have to, um, listen to that. And when I do, it makes sense. I love that. It's your knees. That is so incredible. Some sort of symbolic meaning. We'll have to talk about that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, um, without going off on a tangent, I've looked into that. I actually, uh, I've, I've made reference to this book that Louise Hay has this book, You Can Heal Your Life. Um, and and she makes, I think she points out certain parts of your body where mm. you feel pain and what that means. And yeah, the knees, like I said, are a message of when you're kind of veering off your path. Mm. Uh, at least that's what I've internalized. So um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, and, you know, I want to thank you for even coming on here and, uh, I'm so grateful for for your vulnerability and talking through what I can't even imagine must be so difficult and and sharing this space with me and, and the listeners. So, you know, I have the most appreciation for that. Mm-hmm. And for listeners that would like to speak with you or get a hold of you, what are some ways they can do that? Mm. Well, I have uh, my Instagram where where we follow each other, The Rooted Revolution is that um, Instagram name. And the link in there, the link in the bio takes you directly to my website um, or actually my link tree where I have like more links. So that might be the quickest and easiest way to kind of find me. Um, But I can also be sure to send you some links to other media and stuff. And maybe you can list those if you'd like to. Yeah, absolutely. I'll put that in in the show notes. Um, so people can find you and, and, you know, 
uh, I think you have tons and tons of wisdom to offer. So uh, it'd be a great opportunity for anyone who's seeking or finding their purpose. Thank you for inviting me. This has been amazing. (laughs) Yeah, no, this was great. Appreciate it. Yeah. So take good care. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. As always, please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy the episodes or leave a comment in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. Thank you again. And until next week.